0: We've spent the last several weeks uh, in a series called Head versus Heart, and um, this series is meant to help uh, add verbiage and articulation and understanding to uh, a battle we all face. Uh, truthfully, I was thinking about this this past week. The, 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 the hardest, most difficult battles that I've ever fought in my entire life uh, ...no one else knew about. And, uh, and so they weren't necessarily circumstantial. They were battles that I fought on the battlefield of my own mind. And so uh, I've, I've fought many there that other people I could probably put on a good face. They had no idea that those battles were being fought. But typically that's some of the most difficult moments we have... ...is just ourselves and our own thoughts and, and kind of our own thinking... And so this conversation is to help give some uh, idea and direction and, and some, some really to, to arm us to be able to handle those moments and to walk through them by faith. And, and that's how we're designed. We are created to walk and live by faith. And so that is the method in which we're meant to live. And when we're not... We feel the effects of it and we feel underneath life instead of on top of it. And so uh, we've talked a lot about uh, a lot of different aspects and what we're doing the last few weeks leading up to our our seven week journey, which takes place in four weeks. uh, We are just walking through some scripture that God put in my heart that I've just been reading for the last several weeks. And uh, I just want to take our time and just walk through it. We did this last week, and uh, we'll spill from, from one chapter to the next because uh, truthfully, these chapters and verse numbers were not uh, original. They were added later. So, uh, But there is a coherent thought that just progresses. Uh, and, and I want to just walk through uh, one of my favorites today. I know I probably say that every week that these are my favorite verses, but it's all my favorite except for uh, Leviticus That's, and uh, Ecclesiastes. Well, it's all right doesn 't matter let 's get going uh, Romans chapter eleven, if you want to turn there in your Bibles uh, we're going this, this last part of Romans eleven sets up Romans chapter twelve you 're going to really recognize Romans chapter twelve because we 've talked about a lot you've probably heard it quoted a lot you 've probably read this a lot, but uh, Romans eleven definitely sets up Romans chapter twelve, of course, this is the Apostle Paul talking, and uh, so we 're going to go back to Romans chapter 11, the last few verses there, starting verse 33. This is what it says. Oh, the, uh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how unfathomable his ways, for who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor, or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again, for from him... And through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Um, we'll, we'll pick up in, in chapter 12 in a moment, but I, I want to take some time and just kind of consider what's said. And just those few verses, um, Paul is, is speaking to and reminding us of the, the sheer mag- magnitude and, and majesty of God. And, and this is Paul giving scale and, uh, and saying, reminding us, man, how unfathomable, how unsearchable is God, how, uh, how way above us and way bigger than us and way better than us is our God. And, and he, you know he's kind of, he's making sure that we understand that, that we see how big how unfathomable, how unsearchable, how majestic God is. And, and, and then he even says our tendency is probably to consider ourselves as being better suited for the God role than God Himself. Because he says, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become God's counselor? And, and he's trying to give us the scale. I, I, my goal is by the time I'm 50 years old, and, and my wife and I, uh, we've talked about this, and she is, uh, she's, she's starting to get on board, but she's let me know how ridiculous this is. I want to own a replica of the A-Team van by the time I'm 50 years old. I don't know why that, to me, is so cool. And my wife's like, you're going to drive around in a windowless van? That's a little creepy. I was like, it's the A-Team van. You trust it immediately, because it's got the red stripe. People are like, he's here to save the day. Not offer candy. Uh, so this is, and I want, I'm going to start doing my hair like uh, Mr. T. But anyway, so there is a desire to have the 18 van. And uh, and I've thought, I, I, I've kind of, I've thought about what I would do. I, I would try to find a van that would be sort of uh, 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 suitable for, for uh, to be painted and, and created into the 18 uh, van. And I would get the, the little scale replica to hand to the uh, the car painter and say D- do that, and uh, and so, but the the, the the little replicas are like, a, you know, a tiny miniature version of the the real deal, right? And so uh, I have a feeling on my fiftieth birthday, my wife's going to get me the tiny replica, and I'm going to be so mad, and I'll probably talk about her bad at church. So just wait for that five years. Um, but the the replica is not the real thing. It's just it, it's a it's a replica. And so we are created in God's image, but we are not God, and uh, we're not on that level. And we are just a small uh, part. But we we are loved, we are valued, we're worth dying for. But we are not God. But if you think, if you look back on thoughts you've had and conversations you've had and, and things that you've heard other people say, they start putting themselves in a place where they think they know better than God. And and then we start kind of getting to that that, that rut where like I, I wouldn't have done it that way. What was God thinking? Where is God at in all this? I would do that. And so we, we talk about God and think about God in, in such a way that uh, we are good and He has fallen. And and I, I've picked up on that more and more as time has gone on. And I just I'm I just I'm alert to that natural sensibility that people think that they are uh, better suited for the God job than God Himself. And so part of walking and living by faith, we've got to put God in the right place. We've got to understand that He is above all. He, he knows what He's doing. He is God. I am not. And, and, and it is a beautiful thing that I am not. The, uh, when Peter walked on the water, we talked about that a few weeks ago, uh, at some point in the process, which would have happened to all of us, he's walking on water, uh, the storm around him became more significant and, and bigger than, than Christ Himself. And so He's consumed by the, the sheer magnitude of the storm instead of being consumed by and overwhelmed by the sheer magnitude of Christ. And that happens to all of us on a daily basis. And so uh, He goes on to say, uh, Who has first given to Him, to God, that it might be paid back to Him again, to paid back to you? Um, this is this backwards idea that, that somehow we manufacture in our own heads that, that we could have God in our debts And uh, he, he could be uh, in our debt and, and we could basically manipulate, control, direct God uh, by leveraging debt against him. So if someone owes us money, you can say, well, you know, mow my grass, wash my car. You can, you can basically earn back and pay off the debt. By, by working for me, and so we, we put ourselves in that place where we're like, God, you owe me. I've been good. I've been faithful. I've done nice things. I gave. I was kind. I served. God, you owe me. Uh, no, he doesn't. He, he freely gave everything before you were ever here, and so how could we ever pay him back, and the beauty is that he doesn't ask us to, and so the Apostle Paul is just really doing his best to put everything in its proper place. Uh, this, is, this is him trying to direct us to have a, an understanding of scale, the magnitude, the, majest- the, the majesty of God, how infinitely bigger and more powerful he is than us. And then he closes with this. From him, through him, to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Everything begins and ends in him. Everything is from Him. It starts in Him. It's through Him. It's because He does that within us, and it's to His glory, not ours. And so, um, th- this is the this is the truth. There is no separating life, true life, Zoe life, uh, fulfillment, purpose, meaning, peace, or joy, from Jesus. There's no separation of those two things because. He is those things. Everything is from Him, through Him. All Every good gift is from Him. And so there's no separating God from those things. And, and a lot of times we try to seek those things as opposed to seeking God. And you can't find those things outside of God because those things are in God. They are from God. And so we must seek. That's why the Bible says, Jesus says Himself, seek first His kingdom. His righteousness. And then everything else is added to you. Everything else comes with that because in Him is from Him, through Him, and to Him that are all good things. That, can ta- that, that consideration is what sets up the next chapter. And so, in fact, the next chapter starts with the word therefore, which means that what we're about to read is, is hangs on the reality that everything's from, through, and to Him and not from, through, or to us. So, chapter 12. And again, this is very well-known verses. You, you've heard these. Therefore, I, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect." For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each each of us a measure of faith, for just as we have many members of one body and all the members do do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another." Uh, Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Um, That idea, so he's saying everything's from and through and to God. And so everything's from, through, and to him. Uh, He is way beyond us. He's way above us. Who can be his counselor? Who can know the mind of of God? Who can understand him? Who can really even take in who God is fully? Nobody. God is so much bigger, infinitely bigger and more powerful than any of us. And because of that, because God is God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, God is the, the savior of our lives, because of all that, our natural response should be to present ourselves as a sacrifice of worship. That is the, the call to action. Because everything's from, through, and to Him, therefore, uh, present yourselves... As a living sacrifice. Now, Old Covenant, if you read the Old Testament, uh, you'll see instituted by the law of Moses, there are these continual sacrifices, even preceding that. We see a sacrifice in the Garden of Eden uh, to God because he he deserves that. And so uh, these continual dead sacrifices were offered to appease God as, as some sort of fragrance to heaven, to honor God, to, to, to make things right with God. It was a blood covenant to say, oh, we're good. And so these dead sacrifices were made continually. There's no stopping this. It was continual, always, continual sacrifices have to be made. Annual sacrifices, sacrifice, sacrifices based on specific moments and specific events, these, these sacrifices had to continue. The Bible says that, that, the, that the priest could not sit down because their work was never done because there was an endless uh, flow of traffic of sacrifices being made because it, ultimately we could not just once and for all make things right with God. We couldn't. He could. And so that's why Jesus came, a once and for all sacrifice for us, for all of us. The Bible says he made a once and for all sacrifice and then sat down because it is finished. One last sacrifice that was a sacrifice of death. And then the Bible says here, Romans 12, this is after, obviously, the sacrifice of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus, resurrection to new life that gives us all resurrection to new life. We're alive in Christ. And so now it's no longer sacrifices that represent death He puts it this way, living sacrifices. Completely different mentality. Living sacrifices. What does that mean? You're being alive, made alive to this new life. That is a commitment to live. No longer is I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It is a commitment to sacrifice everything to be a new living creation in Christ. So, in other words, we are His. We belong to Him. We are not autonomous beings. We are not our own. My life is not my own. I belong to Jesus. This is put in a different way in Second Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. It says this, The love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. So this is a conversation of whose we are, who we belong to. Jesus went to the cross not to make bad people into good people, But He went to the cross in order to make dead people live and to make people who were separated from Him now His. He died to make us His. We belong to Him. And so the Apostle Paul is saying your worship of God involves you consecrating, taking your life, your living every day, your your living and breathing and, and being and, and, and saying, proclaiming, this is yours. I'm yours and you are mine. I'm in him, he's in me. This goes on to say, this is all part of the same conversation, and, and don't be conformed to this world, this culture. It says, first and foremost, we belong to him. We're sacrifices to him. We belong to him. We are his. And this says, don't try to fit in. Don't try to belong to this world because you don't. And I don't, it's very subversive, and maybe you notice it, maybe you don't. There's something in our culture, there's something in the way the world works that demands conformity, uniformity. You have to do what you're told. You you've got to comply. And and there's you'll hear it in media, you'll hear it in, in songs, be yourself be who you are, be unique, that is surfacy, that is cosmetic. That just means wear your hair the way you want to. That means wear what you want and be odd, that's fine. But it, it, when it comes down to it, you have to agree, you have to comply, you have to go along. This world demands conformity. That demand is pervasive. It is in every setting, really in the church big time. It exists within religion, big time. So we'll we'll, we'll kind of survey the land and say, my my buddy Will back there is wearing a Guns N' Roses t-shirt today. And so we might allow, come out here, Will, model the shirt for us, buddy. Look at that. Sweet child of mine. Uh, And so he goes some places, like, did you see that kid's t-shirt? Well, he's a guest here, so give him a week or two, and then we'll tell him, right? And you expect that to to grow out of it, right? You, you, You need to change. You need to get along and start wearing the uniform of Christianity. And that is outward compliance because it's the only thing we can control. It's the only thing we can measure. We like it. We're addicted to it. We like conformity because we can see it. It's obvious. It's tangible. And it shows me that you're getting it. But who knows the heart of a man? We talked about that last week. We have no idea. There's a lot of people in churches that look the part, talk the part, act the part, and their lives are crumbling and they are a mess. I, we've got to get above and beyond outward compliance and certainly conforming to culture in this world. We've got to get to deeper, more substantial territory. And that begins with we belong to him. As, uh, as the great poet Bob Dylan once put it, you got to serve somebody. you got to serve somebody. You're going to serve somebody. And, and to say don't conform to this world is to say you don't serve the world. You don't belong to the world. It does not have authority over you. We're, instead of that, we serve God. Don't try to fit in. You don't belong. So the value system, the priorities, the philosophies, it, 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 the shallow and complicated emphasis of our culture, uh, which is all driven by fear. The priority of all those things is driven by fear. Fear of standing out, fear of, fear of going against the crowd, fear of being canceled, fear, fear of being uh, someone correcting or, or confronting us. All that fear creates conformity. But perfect love casts out fear. And the Bible says, we just read it in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, we are controlled by love, not controlled by fear. Instead of conforming to this world, this is what the the Apostle Paul says, instead of that, be transformed. Instead of being conformed, be transformed. I just want to look at the, the difference of words here. Conforming is cosmetic. It's outward compliance. Transformation is actually, it's metamorphosis. It's becoming something different. Looking different versus being different. And only God, through his Holy Spirit, can do that. And, and the, the methodology that Paul instructs us to, by way of doing this is be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now, what does that mean? Well, we don't transform ourselves. We are transformed by God, by His Spirit. And that happens as, while, our minds are being renewed. Renewed to what? What are they being renewed to? I'm glad you asked. Uh, They are being renewed to be in alignment, in conjunction with... The faith that exists in our hearts. So everything starts with faith. Because everything's from, through, and to Him. That's the starting point. That's the the methodology. That's the destination. And so, uh, how do we interact with God? How are we connected with God? What is is the, the pipeline between us and the person of God? Faith. He interacts with His people, with His children, via faith. Faith is our connection. We are saved by grace through faith. It is the vehicle by which we are saved. It is the vehicle by which we live and breathe and have our being. We walk by faith. We live by faith. Faith is where this starts. If everything begins and ends with Jesus, then as it relates to us, everything begins and ends with Jesus starts there and, the, and, and I love the, the the holistic nature of this. we are saved by grace through faith that's where it begins. We walk this thing out by faith. the righteous live by faith. It's the way that we that we live and breathe and move. and so everything begins there and so when when the Bible says that our minds are being renewed, it means that our minds are being tuned into a deeper, more profound more substantial, more cosmic frequency. So, the Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. How do we have that? By faith. And so, this battle that we experience in everyday life is a battle between this new way of thinking that is ours by faith, the mind of Christ we have by faith, it is a new way of thinking, a new way of being human, that is at war with our old way of thinking, our old mentality, the things that we've caught and absorbed and picked up along the way. I've been in church my entire life. There's never been a, a, a moment of my life that I haven't been in church. And, and I'm talking Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every extracurricular my first job which my daughter just started her first job which is amazing and and I have a lot of the same uh, a lot of the same rules that my parents did when I started my first job they said you don't work Sundays and you don't work Wednesday nights because you're going to be in church and and a lot of people we've gotten to this that new you know kind of philosophy of that of parenting well I don't want to make my kid go to church well let me relieve you from that fear we make our children go to school. We make our children go to the doctor, to the dentist. They have to. They don't have a choice. Why? Because it's what's best for them. We've got to trust and believe that what's best for them is to show them, get them in front of teaching about Jesus. Well, they don't like to go. They don't like going to the dentist either. They don't like going to school either. But at what point do we like, school's important, Connecting to living God, that's a choice. I'm very grateful because I am a, a bit of a chaotic personality. Maybe you picked up on that. I, I could have gone off the deep end pretty quickly. And I'm thanking, I, I, I continue to thank, and I'm thankful for my parents who created the guardrails of being connected in the community of Christ my entire life. Now, the theology was not always fantastic. Because I've had a lot of mentality that has has had to be corrected because the theology has not always been wonderful that I've been exposed to. But you know, the priority has been beautiful. Sometimes God, a lot of times, always, God cuts through the noise of our wrongness and establishes rightness within our spirits. He's not shackled to our human deficiencies. He's way above that. So he does beautiful things as we walk this thing out in faith. But, but over time, admittingly, I've had to drop some stinking thinking, some really bad philosophies and opinions about God and who God is. But what's happening over time, and this is continuing to happen, is that the, the, the connection I have with the living God is starting to work its way up to the way I think. And so now, I'm not just subject to my old way of thinking. My, my brain is being renewed. My mind is being renewed to something that is true and that is bigger than anything that I've thought before. Does this make sense? We are transformed. We are becoming outwardly and obviously and intangibly different human beings as our mind is being tuned in to the Spirit of God through faith, we become different people. I don't, I don't know if I've told a lot of stories about my upbringing. <laughs> That's silly. Of course I have. But, but not, the, not the gritty, nasty, ugly parts as much. Um, when my wife, and I didn't plan on telling the story, but I will. When my wife walked into the church where I was attending, and uh, she had just moved there, from Ohio, and she walked into a church. Um, I was a, uh, I, 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 I basically owned a coffee shop, and uh, I was trying to make a, a, a my my own way. I was like 19 years old, 20 years old, and uh, I was in a large church at the same time, simultaneously seeing three different um, gals. Unbeknownst to each other, and uh, I know you, you're looking at me like with disdain, and I'm sorry, I repent. Uh, I was uh, what the kids would call a bit of a player, and uh, and so I was, and it wasn't because I was malicious. It was because uh, you, you find qualities in certain people. Like, well, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to put the dead end here because this person might be the one. But then I like, and so anyway, when my wife. No one seemed to pick up on this, and uh, every, everything was going great, but for whatever reason, Sonia Nussbaum at the time, uh, she walked in and she saw right through it. And uh, her, her sister-in-law went to our church, and her sister-in-law said, what about that guy? And she was like, he is a dog. And uh, not interested at all. And so I, uh, in the same period of time, the Holy Spirit got a hold of something in me. And, and the Holy Spirit did what only the Holy Spirit can do. Brought me to a place of clarity where uh, I realized this is not how you do things and this is not right. And so I, one by one, went to all the three relationships I had uh, going on and, and I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And so when I did that, then everyone started comparing notes it was it was like the thing imploded it, it got ugly right I became <laughs> became the worst person ever and uh, but I, I was okay with that and I just made a deal with God I said, I'm done playing the field I'm not good at it I don't enjoy it, it until you come down yourself and show me picture ID and hand me in, in a, 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 a this, this angel's hand that you want me to marry, I'm off the market. And so little did I know that, that this person, who would be my wife, was sitting back, had a front row seat, uh, completely unbeknownst to me, watching transformation happen. Watching me become someone different. I acted differently. I thought differently. And only God could have done that. She couldn't have changed me. No one else could have done that. But the Holy Spirit, and we've been married now what, 21 years? My good, 22 years. Hello, and so hey, looks like we made it. Um, but God did that, and and we have to trust God to do that. We we really like trying to change people, and the truth is, you can't even change yourself. You can now, you can conform and look better, but only God can change the person. Now, the, the result of the transformation that we've been talking about, being renewed to a new way of thinking, is, as Paul puts it, that this is the reason, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's the, that's the point. You're being transformed so that you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So what that means is, you're able to know, understand, prioritize, and walk in the will of God. In sync with the Spirit of God. We're being transformed so that we can know and live out and walk in and prove what the true will of God is. It's not my will. His. We're being transformed so that we can live that out, prove that, establish that. And then Paul brings up the most common obstacle that keeps us from, being, from that being our reality. And, and it actually speaks to this head versus heart idea that we've been in for weeks. He says this, Through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. But think as, as so to have sound judgment as God has allotted each a measure of faith. Now these, there's a dichotomy that's presented here that is head versus heart. He says, here's the biggest obstacle we face. Pride. Don't make this about you. Don't puff you up. Don't get too big for your britches. Don't, don't then substitute, as much as it was beautiful that God substituted himself for us, don't Don't try to return the favor and substitute yourself for God. God took our place. Don't try to take God's place. Let that be a a, a finished deal. Don't get too big for your britches. Don't puff yourself up. Knowledge puffs up. Uh, Love builds up. So that's existing in our, in our, our mind. It says, don't think, think. There's the word think. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should. Instead of that, Trust the faith that God gave us. Here we have head versus heart. Trust the Lord with your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. There there is a, a, a freedom in this very powerful phrase. And I encourage everyone to use this as much as humanly possible. I don't know. That is the most powerful phrase that we have. I don't know. And we pretend to know. We proclaim to know. We like to boast that we know. But what do we know? We read it last week. If, if anyone thinks they know anything, they don't know. Humility says God knows everything... He is God. I am not. Humility says, I don't know. Can, can I give you a warning sign where this, this is very subversive, it's, it's covert, it's not obvious. This puffing oneself up or, or thinking more of us, ourselves than we should, it, it, it is not obvious. There's not always a flashing, you know, bridge out ahead sign. But just a symptom. A symptom would be this. We start to fall in love with and become enamored with things that we find to be lofty and, 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 and overarching in the deal breakers that aren't the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll talk more about this next week, but elementary thinking, philosophies, um, cultural standards, moralism that is delivered by this, this world, um, the way things look, appearance, and, and uh, these smaller things other than Jesus become the point. I've had a lot of people say, Chris, I come to your church, but I don't really believe in organized religion. I'm like, well, good. You should come to my church because neither is it religious nor is it organized. But that philosophy, I don't believe in organized religion, that is not the Gospel. That is a philosophy. That is a a bumper sticker. We're going to talk about it. This whole conversation that starts with the magnitude of God that goes to our belonging to Him and not conforming to the world ends in a conversation about we're in this together. The cross itself is two planes. It's vertical and horizontal. Galatians 5, six says, The only thing that counts, the only thing that matters, the only thing of consequences is faith, trusting God, expressing itself through love, community. Autonomy is not God's plan. But we allow philosophies and other thinking. We, uh, books of psychology become more important than the Bible. Catchphrases and hashtags become deeper and more more meaningful than the gospel itself. I, I, I saw a problem in the church years ago, and, and it exists, uh, it's very pervasive, where catchphrases, catchphrases and slogans of a pastor are, are quoted more often than, than scripture. And it shatters my heart, because I'm like, what are we doing? I, do, I never take this role lightly, and I know I'm not qualified and, I, and I, I have so much reverence in, in being in a position to deliver the gospel, I, I, I do my dead level best not to be flippant about it. And I, would, I, I never want to see a picture of me on, on social media with blah, 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 yackety-schmackety Chris Stapleton. If you do that, quote uh, Tennessee whiskey or something like that. Don't quote me. Everything Paul has been talking about here has to do with our personal connection with God and our journey with Him. And that's certainly a priority, but it's not the only one. This is, this is, all this leads up to this statement. Just as we have many members in one body, the body of Christ, all the members do not have the same function. In other words, there's no conformity There's no demand to be something you're not. You are celebrated as the individual that you are. They don't have the same function. So we, who are many, are one, one body in Christ. And I love this statement individually, members of one another. Uh, Another translation puts it this way we belong to each other. There's a sense of belonging and connection. We 're all beautifully handcrafted, unique. We are unique individuals with unique talents and unique gifts, unique passions, unique abilities. but those are all those things are gifts, and those gifts are not utilized or realized until they are utilized and realized in, in, in accordance to blessing and helping and building other people up i, I realize along the way i i don't know a lot of the giftings that i have but over the course of my life i've been able to monetize what i have I, i've been able to remain employed since i was 16 17 years old and and i've always found a way to earn an income for myself always i've started businesses i've helped other people start businesses and I've always been gamefully employed. And a lot of times in, in this world, we'll we'll take the gifts and the abilities that God gave us, and we'll use them to monetize and, and take care of ourselves. But that gift and that that ability is not does not in there. The purpose, the reason we were given it, is so that we can help other people and build them up. I've, I I I saw this happening way back. I used to. Uh, uh, oversee a children's ministry at a church and I was like there, are, there are, there's these people who are gifted to teach they're teachers gifted at it and they would n- never volunteer to uh, help children's ministry in church because they're tired by the time they've been doing it to earn money and if there's no money on the table they're not going to do it and part of me I, I totally understand like, give me a break but I'm like, there, there, but there has to be a way to contribute. Even if it's just behind the scenes and just conversations and, and empowering and, and helping develop. But, but it's like we're giving these gifts for the reason of building others up. That's the reason we got them. I want to close with this, this last sentence. Individually members one of, uh, of one another. We're members... With each other. We are many parts of one body. We all belong to each other. My life is not my own. Um, My life is not a this autonomous, individualistic kind of microcosm within that exists in the setting of the world, unencumbered and unconnected where i 'm just trying to take care of number one, make me happy, make me smile, work on me. This culture is is cr- it is crushing people into this small the smallest common denominator where the entire life that's painted the picture that's painted is it, it is all about me like everything in this world exists to make me happy to 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 somehow um, Empower me to live my best life. And everybody else is supporting cast for that endeavor, that priority. We're meant to love others as Christ loved us. And the only person that Jesus did not consider is himself. He considered every other person but not himself. And we're meant to live and we're meant to show and demonstrate love, be controlled by love. And, and Christ himself said, there's no greater love than this, than to lay your life down for others. Sacrifice self for others. My life for you instead of my life for me. The picture of that in the reality of living that out is Beautiful. I, I've told the story a million times, but there's a, uh, a town in Pennsylvania called Rosetto that was a, an Italian community that was founded years and years ago, and, and they, ha- they did a study on this town because the people in this small town were living incredibly long lives. They weren't dying of heart disease and heart failure. They were not, they, they were not dying. And they found out in their research that the, the, the commonality, the theme, the reason that they saw evidence why they're not dying was not the fact that they, they were eating healthy diets or getting lots of exercise. Those things are great, but the main driving force in long life and quality of life was they took, they took care of each other. The, 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 the statement was they felt emotionally safe. They, they felt like they were part of a family, part of a community. They were living out the church better than the church lives out the church. That is, the, that is the body of Christ. We are one body, and if, if you twist your ankle, the whole body compensates to take care of it until it heals. We all, we all skin our knee. We get broken. We get, our hearts get broken. We, we go through tough moments. That's not the time to turtle. That's the time to lean in and say, I need community more than ever. It's, why we're, it's how we're designed and it's why we're here is that God sets the isolated into families. He wants to bring people here to be a part of this. We belong to each other. So here's the, just a the quick rundown, everything we talked about. First, everything's from, through, and to Him. It's all to His glory. My life is in Christ. I belong to Him. We should resist the temptation of settling for this world's counterfeits. Counterfeit joy, counterfeit success, counterfeit wisdom, counterfeit everything because the world cannot replicate what is only from God. Allow the Holy Spirit to continue to transform us as our minds are being renewed and aligned with the Holy Spirit by faith. Resist the temptation of pride being puffed up being self-central. And then all of this is in order to benefit those that God has connected my heart to. Living this way, being this way, growing in this way is all for the benefit of building up others in love. That's what we're made to do. It's what we're created to do. And there's no finding purpose or fulfillment outside of that because it's how you're designed to be. There, there is a, uh, an old adage you can try to teach a pig to sing, but ultimately you're just going to frustrate yourself and the pig. We are not made to be autonomous, greedy, self centered, selfish, entitled, uh, over opinionated, over puffed up, prideful individuals, and that's the Play-Doh mold of this world. It's churning them out like we turn out Subway sandwich shops. I can can hit one Subway's door with a ham sandwich standing at another Subway's door. They're everywhere. They're ubiquitous, and that's what the world is doing, churning out self-centered I'm smarter than everybody else. I'm more elevated and enlightened than everybody else. And so, therefore, I don't have time. Ain't nobody got time for that. And there's this subversive, beautiful, countercultural, amazing, gospel-fueled, beautiful movement that has not changed its mission in 2,000 years that we exist To show people Jesus by loving them and welcoming them into the family of God. That is what we're created to be and to do and God is transforming us to be able to do that better than we've ever done it before.